0: All right, dads, it is NFL opening day today, and I have an awesome guest for you guys, Super Bowl-winning quarterback Trent Dilfer. He is a 14-year veteran of the NFL. He's a former first-round draft pick who spent time with the Buccaneers, the Seahawks, the Browns, the 49ers, and, of course, the Baltimore Ravens, where he hoisted the Lombardi Trophy. Trent Dilfer will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And since it is the NFL opener today, and a Super Bowl quarterback will be joining me here, I figured I would share a quick football story with you guys about myself. I played quarterback in high school, and our team uh, wasn't very good. In fact, we didn't win a single game our senior year. And on the very last game of the season, we were down by five points with under two minutes to go in the game. And I started driving the team down the field in the rain. And I kept thinking about how great it would be to end my high school football career with a game-winning touchdown pass for our first win of the season. Uh, with about 30 seconds to go, we were inside the red zone, and I threw a pass, and it was picked off by some kid who went the other way for six, and I watched him in what felt like slow motion, and uh, that was the last pass I would ever throw as a high school quarterback, and my career came to an end, uh, but it wasn't the worst part of that night, not by a long shot. After the game was over, I took my girlfriend at the time and her sister out to eat uh, in my very first car, which I had bought seven days earlier. I was still sulking and steaming from the interception. I made a left turn in an intersection, and I didn't have the green arrow. I smashed head-on into an SUV. I I came away uninjured, but my girlfriend's sister in the back seat bashed her head into the window, which resulted in her having to have her eye taken out of her socket so that they could put a metal plate in her head. The car that I hit had five people in it. One woman went through the windshield. All of them were injured. Uh, so suddenly my interception seemed like it was just a memory. So that's my final football game story in a nutshell for you. Let's go from me who never won a game as a high school quarterback to a father who won a Super Bowl as a quarterback. Don't forget, tomorrow is Frogman Friday. Retired Navy SEAL Master Chief Jason Gardner will be here with me, so lock it in for that. And please, tell every father in your neighborhood or in your contact list about the show that celebrates fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood Rocks family values rule, and every day is Father's Day, right here with me, and I'll be right back with NFL quarterback Trent Dilfer. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads. First Class Fatherhood is being brought to you today by Manscaped, who is number one in men's below-the-belt grooming, manscaped offers precision engineered tools for your family jewels they sent me their lawnmower 2.0 and i wish they had something like this years ago i can't tell you how many times i've nicked my nuggets in the shower while shaving and you definitely don't want to be using the same razor on your face that you're using down there on the two amigos the lawnmower 2.0 is an electric trimmer with skin safe technology it's waterproof so you can use it in the shower so let's go dads Right now, First Class Fatherhood listeners are getting 20% off their entire order, plus free shipping by using the promo code FATHER. Go to manscaped.com, enter the promo code FATHER at the checkout, save 20% off, and get free shipping. Manscaped.com, promo code FATHER. All right, and joining me now is a first-class father. He is a 14-year veteran of the NFL. He is a Super Bowl-winning champion. He is currently the head coach of Lipscomb Academy. You've heard him as an analyst on ESPN as well. It is a big privilege for me to say, Trent Dilfer, welcome to First Class Fatherhood.
1: Sorry to be on the pod.
0: All right, let's start right here. Uh, How many kids do you have, and how old are they?
1: So i got four kids. I got uh, Madeline, who is 23 and working in Southern California. I have Trevin, who would be 21, but he's in heaven. We lost him when he was five and a half. Uh, We have Tori, who is 20. Victoria is actually her given name, and she's at Louisville playing uh, volleyball, the Louisville Cardinals. And then we have Delaney, who is a senior in high school in Austin, Texas.
2: Wow, yeah, you had it in the reverse uh, order of me. I have four children myself, and I have three boys and one girl.
1: Well, I, I don't know who's got it harder, you or me. Those boys can be <laughs> tough when they're young.
2: Yeah, well, my oldest is 13, so we're just on the onset of the teenage year, years here. So I'm glad
1: he's bringing us into the fray. Yeah, they're, they're so much fun. I actually love the middle school and teen years with the girls. They, uh, they're they challenging because of what's going on in their lives and all the different um, kind of inputs they're getting and with social media and just going through adolescence. But it's also so much fun to develop neat relationships with them as they're going through those challenges as well. Yeah,
2: definitely. All right, Trent, if you could just take a minute here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do.
1: Oh, gosh. Um, so I played 14 years in the NFL. Um some good, some bad. Uh I when I retired from the NFL in two thousand eight, I went and started working at ESPN and uh at ESPN I uh worked there for nine years doing Monday night football and Sunday morning um different things for them. Retired from that, just was kinda of done with the T V scene and, and was retired at forty six and got bored. So uh wanted to have some purpose in my life, so I took a to high school coaching job in Nashville, Tennessee at Lipscomb Academy, and I'm a high school football coach, and it's been one of the most challenging but rewarding things I've ever done.
2: Yeah, you've had an incredible journey here, uh, Trent. And, and what, How old were you when you first became a dad, and how did becoming a father kind of change your perspective
1: on life? So we had Maddie uh, when we were 20. i got to get this right, or my wife's going to be mad at me. Um, how old were we? But she is 23. 24. When we were 24, we had her. Uh, We got married in college, moved out to Tampa when I was drafted by the Buccaneers, and then had her a couple years into my career. Um, And uh, we always, I mean, we got married early and just really wanted to have kids badly. So uh, even though life was chaotic and, um, you know, trying to learn how to be a young married couple in the NFL, uh, we still wanted to raise a, a big family. So we started knocking them out one after another.
2: Yeah, and what were some of the challenges, Trent, of playing in the NFL while being a dad? I know that you did move from one city to the next. Did you have, like, a home base? Did the family move with you there? What were some of the challenges of that?
1: I think they're no different than any other challenges of having a job and, and raising a young family. I mean, time, um, sleep. You know, I, and I would as a quarterback, you work pretty hard, so... Uh, I would leave the uh, leave the house at six in the morning, be back at nine or ten at night, and still want to be a good husband, and still want to, you know, change diapers and wake up for the feedings and all that. So there were a lot of years where I didn't get a lot of sleep, um, but it also was a nice getaway from football. You know, it was when when I was away from football, uh, it provided kind of a safe haven to be a dad and to be a husband and and uh, have a job even more important than the one I had on Sundays. So. Um, But but like India, I don't think it's any different than any other um, young family trying to raise young kids and also have careers. Now, we were fortunate my wife could be a stay-at-home mom, so um, she had a little community group of other young moms, and I think that really helped her through the early years. And then as we became the old parents and had older kids, she was able to help some of the new moms, mentor them, and help them with the challenges of being an NFL parent uh, with young kids.
2: Yeah, very well said. And you mentioned that you have a son in heaven. When did you first become aware of your son's condition? Were you like optimistic at the time when you found out, or was it were you given very a uh, grim diagnosis from the beginning?
1: So it was kind of a. I've told the story many times. I'll do the reader's digest version. He um, he uh, got a common virus while we we're at Disneyland, and that virus ended up atta- attacking his heart. it happens about one to every one in every million people. And in a matter of a couple of days, it just rotted away his heart. So he was on a heart-lung bypass machine for 40 days at Stanford, and number one on the donor list. And for whatever reason, a heart never came up, and eventually he, he got a systemic infection, and we had to take him off life support.
2: Yeah, yeah, it's an unbelievable tragedy, Trent. I can't even imagine what that must be like for you. And How, how did... How did your son's death impact you as far as a father raising your other children while you were trying to grieve your son? What, what were some of the difficulties for you in trying to be a parent to your other children?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. We, you know, it's been um, 16 years now. We've told the story hundreds and hundreds of times and and very rarely do we get that question. That's really the million-dollar question is what do you do when you know you have three others and you're going through the hardest thing any parent can go through? And and that really is what saved my wife. You know, my wife would tell the story that, you know, what what woke her up every morning was the fact that she knew she had to get up and give everything to those three girls. And and for me, it just made me cherish every moment with them more. To this day, I mean, to this day, when I fly to California to see my oldest daughter, she she's coming out this weekend to see me in Nashville. Those moments I think are a little more precious. And uh, when I drive to Louisville to see my middle daughter and you know, celebrate her volleyball or her school or her friendships or whatever. It's just, it makes you cherish every moment you have uh, with them so much more and and just puts things into, into perspective better. Um, I think we have a heavenly perspective on our family instead of an earthly perspective.
2: Yeah, very well said, Trent. And, and you've already, my, my daughter is my youngest. She's only five now, but I'm already dreading those uh, years when she hits that dating scene. You've already been there. Well, how did, what was it like for you as a dad there when your daughters finally, uh, you know, were eligible there and started getting into the dating scene? How did you handle that as a dad?
1: Well, I got great advice from a mentor of mine when I was young who told me, make sure you hug and kiss and hold and snuggle and tickle your girls every chance you can because if they're getting that affection from their dad, they're not going to go seek it from another boy. And uh, I think that's been very true um, with my girls. I think the other thing has been honesty, um, letting them be honest and not, when they do tell us hard stuff or mistakes that they made or things they're struggling with, not condemning them for them, for it, but understanding them. Another still may be consequences if it's a decision, um, that impacts them negatively or impacts our family negatively, um, but not condemning them, helping them understand that being a teenage girl is hard, um, and then really teaching them that, I think the biggest thing we've tried to do, and again, I've, everything I've learned as a parent I've stole from another good parent, but um, really trying to have them live a, an, an, un, an uncommon life. Um, don't look at social media or regular linear media or what your friends are saying for what what way you want to live your life. Like, live an uncommon life and be different in a good way. Uh, set the tempo, set the pace, be set apart. You know, things like that, where they don't feel the peer pressure to do the things that other girls are doing or to have a boyfriend just because other bo- other girls have boyfriends. that um, They don't need that at this age. Their friendships are great. Cultivate deep, meaningful relationships with boys. Um, they don't have to be necessarily romantic relationships. So uh, we've handled it that way. They've dated. Um, the rules that they couldn't go on an individual date until they were 16. They had to go on group dates and once they were 16, the boy had to come sit with me, and I wasn't big, bad, and intimidating. I didn't pull out a gun or anything, but I did make sure that um, I did make sure that I knew the boy's intentions, and I knew I told the boy how much this girl meant to me. I've given some analogies um, about things that are important to that boy, and then multiply that by a million, and that's how important these girls are to me. So, use a lot of different tools just to make sure that their perspective was right.
2: Yeah, that's good stuff. And it's funny as you're talking about the your daughter's boyfriends there, there's an ambulance going on in the background. I
1: know. I'm sorry about the background noise. I'm outside on the patio <laughs> and I got a I got craziness going on behind me.
2: Uh yeah, that was good timing on that.
0: All right, dads, the NFL season is now upon us, and the Major League Baseball season is winding down. There is no better time to take your kids to the ball game. and First Class Fatherhood listeners can save $20 off their tickets on SeatGeek.com by using my promo code FIRSTCLASS. That's one word, FIRSTCLASS. Maybe you want to see a concert or a Broadway show. Save 20 bucks on the tickets on SeatGeek.com. Use the promo code FIRSTCLASS. It's a slam-dunk deal, dads. SeatGeek.com, promo code FIRSTCLASS. Fatherhood is the best seat in the house.
2: And uh, you know what, though, Trent. too? one thing that I've cause I had my three boys first, and then my girl, and I definitely disciplined my daughter differently than I do, uh, you know, my boys. Uh, what type? What type of disciplinarian uh, have you been as a father with the girls growing up? Were you a spanker, a timeout guy? How did you kind of handle discipline?
1: It's kind of a combination of everything. Um, when we did spank, we made sure we did it. Um, with the understanding that it was not an anger, um, that it was a consequence, um, for a poor decision that they had made. Uh, we talked it through with them. We prayed with them before. Um, you know, we never wanted them to be, um, felt like it was some type of, uh, physical violence. It was more just a consequence to a a poor decision or a poor behavior. Uh, we didn't have to do it very often, um, Timeouts weren't a huge thing for us. Uh, it was more just kind of hey, if you choices, decisions, consequences. You made a choice, you made a bad decision. There's a consequence to it. And you know, as, as things became, as they started having more things, uh, it was easier to make those consequences uh, more severe. Whether it be a cell phone or taking away. My kids were athletes, so taking away practice time, and if they lost practice time, then naturally they'd miss game time because their coaches wouldn't want them to play in the games if they weren't at practice, um, camps, um, extracurriculars, uh, friendship time, whatever it was. And, and, and honestly, you know, discipline to us was more of a, um, a teaching moment. We, we tried to teach through the disciplinary moments instead of just locking them in a room and saying you can't have stuff
2: yeah 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 good stuff and and Trent, I do like to ask you NFL guys, I mean, and you're coaching high school football now, you've been around the game your whole life, uh, and for a struggle for a lot of dads out here is whether or not they decide to let their kid play tackle football, just with everything that we know now about the dangers of it. uh how do you feel about young kids playing contact football, and what's a good age for them to start?
1: Well, I think you you brought up something that may not necessarily be true. I don't think people do know. I think they've been lied to last five years. I think there's new studies coming out saying football's not that dangerous. Uh, I would encourage people to read the new literature, the new medical journal, journals, the new books um, that actually have balanced research, research and not uh, tinted research, uh, agenda driven research. And football's never been safer, not even close. Um, you know, technology's better with helmets, tackling methods are way better, practice best practices in terms of practice is so much better um heat acclimation in, in states that it's hot um coaching vetting associations i can go on and on and on but football's never ever even been close to this safe uh now saying all that my parents didn't let me play and my dad was a football coach until i was 14 that was just there i was bigger than most kids they didn't want me to hurt other kids just because my physical size um but, I, you know, we have a fifth, sixth grade team, and I tell the parents all the same thing. I, I don't care whether you play flag or whether you play tackle, but I do want to be part of a team. I think that's the greatest thing about football is it, it's, it's a team dynamic like none other. Uh, if the kid is physically mature enough and can carry, what I always say is can you carry your helmets? Are you strong enough to not be a bobblehead when you put that helmet on? Um, then I, I think it's a, it's a safe alternative. Um, I think once they get into junior high, most of them can carry their helmet, uh, have the awareness to know how to follow direction. Um, If you have a good coaching program, then I think it's perfectly safe. Uh, For me, if you have a situation out there where you feel comfortable with the coaches, you feel like they are kid-centric, it's not just about winning, it's about development, it's about safety, then football is a very, very safe alternative. If you're somewhere where it's about yelling and screaming (coughs) – and winning at, you know, peewee football um, and running one play to the best player and there's just ten spectators banging their heads around, um, then football is probably not the best option at that age.
2: Yeah, yeah well said. And you mentioned there that your, your father was a high, a high school coach or a football coach. Is that kind of what drove you to uh, take on a head coaching position here with the Lipscomb Academy? Is it something you always wanted to do, or what was the genesis of you uh, uh, taking the position?
1: I don't know if we have enough time for that. So I had two dads, obviously my real father and my stepfather. My real father lived in the same town. Um, He was very academic, uh, very artsy, um, kind of a free thinker. My stepdad was the more rigid um, football, you know, sports driven kind of guy gave me great balance. I had great relationships. with Both of them. My real father passed away nine years ago. Um, And my stepdad's been as, I've been as close to him as I was my real father anyways. And, I watched the impact he had with so many people, and I always knew one day, uh, my wife and I talked about what we thought when the kids were out of college was when I would go coach high school football, but I, uh, we all felt that I was being called to do it a little bit sooner. It's been really hard on our family because it's not it wasn't in our plans, um, and it's really been a second chance, and I'm really honest about this with my boys that I coach here, and uh, my family understands this is really my second opportunity to, to parent boys, you know, when you, when you Lose a son when he's five and a half, uh, and you're an athlete. You know, you have all those dreams of being around your kid as he grows up and plays sports and does cool things. And, and now I get to do it with 85 boys. And um, it's been, the, it's been like I said, the greatest challenge I've ever taken on and also the most rewarding one. So uh, I wouldn't change it for the world.
2: All right, good stuff. So I don't know, are you still close to watching the NFL? Do you got a pick for this season outside the box of choice for us here or what?
1: I am. Very, I'm still very close to it. I studied every week. I still do some TV on Mondays um, and do a lot of radio shows and, and try to keep a good pulse with it. Um, you know, I, it's hard not to pick the Patriots, obviously. Um, they just have it figured out more than everybody else. I was big on the Chargers until some of their injuries. Um, I was big on the Colts until I luck retired so I'm still trying to figure out this landscape now with everything changing so much in the last month um I really don't know I, I do think the Packers for whatever reason I think the Packers have a chance to be a lot better than they've been in years past under new leadership I think Aaron Rodgers is um you know uh, rejuvenated and uh they'd be a they'd be a dark horse pick for me
2: Okay, very cool. You know what, I'm curious to ask you, because I know that Andrew Luck is about to be a dad himself. How much do you think that kind of played into him making a decision to walk away?
1: I think it played a lot into it. And I do think this. I think with the Andrew Luck thing, he's retired, but I wouldn't write off him coming back in a year or two. Um, I think think he's at a place in his life where uh, the mental toll and the emotional toll of his injuries have stacked up. Yes, becoming a father, all these things. He's probably having one of these young life. You know, crises, not midlife. Um, but he'll reset, and, and things will change over the next year or two, and I can see him coming back.
2: All right, good stuff, Trent. Last thing I want to hit you with here, i love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast, what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about-to-be father who's out there listening?
1: Oh, man, I mentor so many young fathers and trying to think which ones I've whiffed on and which ones I've been good at. I think routines are really important. I think you're... You and your wife having routines, a young child having routines. I think first time obedience is really important. Um, you know, I, I tell the story of Maddie when we were learning this, and you know, she'd sit in her high chair and she would knock over her baby food, and our her bedroom was up, you know, a really steep um set of stairs down the hallway, and I'd be like, okay, and I'd take her out, and I'd walk her up, and I'd put her in her crib, and she would cry and I'd sit by the door, and she would stop crying, and I'd go get her, I'd bring her back down, I'd sit her back at the you know, high chair, and then chew eat a little bit, and then she'd knock over again. And I'd get up, and I'd take her up, and I'd put her in her crib, and she would cry, and I'd get her and bring her back down. And she'd have over and over until she understood that the first time she knocked over her food, she'd be disciplined, and all of a sudden, she stopped knocking over her food. And the, the story I was told was, if your child's a toddler, and they're running down the through a park, and they get to an intersection, and they're going to run through that intersection, and you yelled, Maddie, stop. Would they stop the first time? Or is, or do they use your voice as just a suggestion? And that really resonated with me. I didn't want our voice to be a suggestion to our kids. I wanted our voice to be the primary voice in our kids' lives. And I think first-time obedience, uh, having uh, routines has really helped with that. To this day, um, if we say something... The kids trust it as the primary voice in their life. Now, they don't have to always agree with it now because um, they're older, but they still recognize it as the primary voice. And I think a lot of that's because we didn't give suggestions uh, when we spoke to them. Um, they knew it mattered.
2: Yeah, very well said. I love the message. Trent, I've got to say this has been an honor for me. You're a first-class father all the way, and thank you so much for giving me a few minutes of your time on First Class Fatherhood.
1: All right. Thanks for having me.
0: To wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood, i got to give a special thank you once again to Trent Dilfer for giving me a few minutes of his time here. That was so awesome. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys, or drop me a DM on Instagram. Let me know what you thought about today's episode. I always love to read your feedback. And lock it in for tomorrow, we have our first Frogman Friday episode of the new season. Retired Navy SEAL Master Chief Jason Gardner will be joining me here, and that is quite an honor. Make sure you follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace to catch all the guests who will be joining me here next week. And don't forget to get over to manscaped.com and use my promo code FATHER to get 20% off their awesome products, plus you get free shipping. All right, that's all I got for you guys today. I'm Alec Lace. You have been listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are First Class Fathers.